You're listening to a podcast from St. Barts. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au. So it would be great to have your Bibles or your Bible apps open at Psalm 96. So you will have noticed that we've taken a break from our 1 John series as some of the church are not here today. Uh, They are at the Sunshine Coast for the Focus Weekend Away. And they have spent the weekend looking at some of the Psalms. And you'll notice today that we've uh, heard from and we will hear from a number of the Psalms as we focus on Psalms and worship today. Let's begin with prayer. Almighty Father, as you have given us your word, give us now your spirit that we may understand and live the things which we hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 24 begins with this awesome claim. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And it concludes with this powerful call to praise God. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. Psalm 24 and our Psalm for today, Psalm 96, are both part of what's called the enthronement psalms. What these psalms do is to identify who God is and call humanity, both the Israelites and the Gentiles, to worship God in light of his lordship over history, over the nations and over all creation. We often equate worship with singing because music can powerfully connect with us. You may have had the experience of watching people with advanced dementia respond to songs that bring back memories that seemed lost to them. As the music is recognised and its emotional power is felt, their faces change. One or two start to sing, more join in, and then the whole group, who may have been virtually speechless before, are singing. We are made to worship God, our creator, and nothing, not even dementia, can stop us. Wei Han, who is leading the teaching on the Focus Camp this weekend, uh, as he focuses on, as I said, worship and the Psalms, has had a similar experience. He said this, Our operating theology, so what we believe about God, is often not what we read or say we believe, but what we've internalised in the songs we sing. I've sat with Christians close to death who have been too weak to pray or speak, but light up briefly to hum or mouth the words to hymns and choruses they've sung all their lives in church. Now, as powerful as worship songs are, there is more to worship than singing. Louis Giglio defined worship this way. 
Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. So worship is more than what we sing, more than what we say. It includes all we do as we worship God with our heart, our mind, our body and spirit. The Psalms are the songbook of the scriptures. They help us to process and understand God, ourselves and the purpose of our lives. We shouldn't just read the Psalms or even sing them. We should live and rejoice in them daily. Psalm 96 describes a growing crescendo of worship. First, God's people are called to sing his praises and to tell of his glory among the nations. Then the nations are called on to ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Finally, all creation is brought into the swelling chorus. And the reason for the praise of all creation is the prophecy that the Lord is coming to judge the world in righteousness. So we see three main themes. Worship, witness, and waiting expectantly for the day when the Lord comes to right all wrongs. So as we start in verse 1, we see that the first three verses are a call to worship and witness, and then the next three verses tell us why we should do these things. Let's start in verse 1. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. The psalmist repeats his theme, sing to the Lord, three times. Now, when a writer repeats something, it means it's usually important, so we should take note. The first time, he tells us to sing to the Lord a new song. Now, that doesn't mean we have to write a new song every day. But it refers to a song that celebrates the mercies of God, which are new every morning. We should try to keep our praise new or fresh and not let it become stale or automatic. The second call to sing to the Lord is directed to all the earth. The last part of the psalm will tie back into this by calling all creation to praise the Lord. It shows that the scope of God's praise is as wide as all the earth which he has created. And the third call to sing to the Lord is followed by three imperatives which show us the connection between worship and witness. Praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. So we are called to bless, proclaim and tell. Blessing God's name means that we should praise and thank him for all that he is and all that he has done, culminating in Jesus. The good news of his salvation must go forth day after day. It must be proclaimed continually until the whole earth has heard. And we are called to tell, to declare the good news of God. We bless, we proclaim and we tell. 
Now, in case we think, as Israel was often prone to do, that all the earth meant all the people just like us, the psalmist really meant all nations and all peoples. For the Jews, this meant the Gentiles were included. And for us, this means absolutely everyone, even people we don't like or who aren't like us. God's glory and his marvellous deeds here in verse 3 are poetic references to his salvation. God's salvation displays his glory and his wonderful deeds. So the order of the psalm is first worship. We worship God joyfully as we sing, sing and sing. Then we bear witness to the glorious salvation to the people and nations who haven't heard. This psalm looks ahead to the New Testament era when all families of the earth, Jews and Gentiles, are blessed through Abraham's descendant, Jesus. The next three verses tell us why we should worship and witness. So from verse 4, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Why should we get excited about worshipping God and go to all the trouble of telling everyone about the salvation he offers us? Why? The Lord is great. He is worthy of praise and he is to be feared above all gods. The pagan world is marked by fear of their gods. When we fear the Lord, we don't have to be afraid of him. Yes, he made the heavens and the earth, not like the gods of the nations who are mere idols. The Hebrew word here for idols is elalim. It means nothings or non-entities. And it's a play on words with the Hebrew word for the true God, Elohim. The true God is the creator of the universe, which is so vast that even the most powerful telescope cannot find the edge of it. The true God is also the one who sent his son to reconcile us to him on the cross. He is strong and mighty and he is compassionate and merciful. Psalm 33 tells us how we can fear the Lord. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Fear the Lord, for he alone is great and greatly to be praised. After this first cycle of worship and witness, the psalmist takes us through another cycle in verses 7 to 10. He calls on the nations to worship God because of his glory and strength, and then again calls on God's people to bear witness to the nations of God's rule. So from verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord 
the glory due his name. You might have noticed another three-peat. The threefold ascribe parallels the threefold sing that began the psalm. Ascribe means literally to give. Now, God doesn't need us to give something because he's lacking something. The idea here is that we are to offer God worship that he deserves because of his infinite majesty and glory. What is amazing here, as we remember the Old Testament setting of this psalm, is that the psalmist invites the people of all nations to recognise God's glory and strength. That recognition leads to worship. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The nations are invited to worship God and his holiness. When we come face to face with God's holiness, we also come face to face with our sinful nature and our need for forgiveness. The good news is that we don't have to tremble before God afraid or uncertain because when we trust in Jesus and all that he's done on the cross, we are washed clean and we can approach God with confidence. As we grow in our understanding of God and a deeper view of our own sin, this leads to a greater experience of his abundant grace resulting in more intimate worship. Now in this second cycle, worship is again followed by a call to witness. God's people are called to witness to the nations about God's sovereign rule. I'm sure some of you watched King Charles' coronation last week. And it was really uh, good to see, and it was a powerful reminder, that as queens and kings come and go, God reigns over all of them. Verse 10 reminds us of these words from Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. So we live in a world that is mostly ambivalent to the Christian message and sometimes even hostile to the message of Jesus. So how do we communicate that message to people who don't know Jesus that God reigns? Jesus came the first time as the humble saviour to die for our sins, but he will come again to rule and judge. Jesus is meek and mild, gently knocking on the door of our hearts, desiring that we would open up to him. But he is also the risen, sovereign, righteous King of kings and Lord of lords, who is coming to rule over all things. As we follow that command to share the good news, to tell the nations that God reigns, I think it's really helpful to, to model after Jesus. To be meek and to be mild and to be kind and compassionate, but also 
be brave and strong and courageous. Ultimately, it's most helpful for people to hear about God by us telling them how God rules over us and how that decision has transformed every aspect of our lives and the hope and the assurance that we have of salvation through faith in Jesus. Now, the thought of God judging the people with equity leads the psalmist to call everything in creation to break out in praise. And we see these wonderful words in verses 11 and 12. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord. God's praises has reached its maximum. And why? Creation, not just us, is waiting for Jesus' return. We're reminded of Paul's words in Romans 8, that the creation presently groans under the curse, waiting for the day of redemption when it will be restored. Now on one side, future judgment doesn't really sound exciting. The good news comes in the description of how this future judgment will be enacted. And so we read in the last verses, he comes to judge the earth, he will judge the world in righteousness and the people in faithfulness. There will be equity and righteousness and faithfulness. God's judgment will be fair. God will judge who is right with God. We cannot possibly do that in our own strength or even our own goodness. We can only be right with God by accepting Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. God's judgment will be faithful to the truth and the promises given to us in and through Jesus. If we say yes to the invitations in Psalm 96, three things should be true of us. If the glorious God is our saviour, we will be a worshipping people. Our voices will often sing his praises. Our thoughts will dwell on how great and mighty God is and our hearts will bow in reverence before his holiness. If the glorious God is our saviour, we will be a witnessing people. Witness is the overflow of worship. If you're amazed by something, you can't help but tell others about it. And God calls us to be witnesses right where we are on our front lines. And God calls some of us to go further afield even to other nations, to proclaim the good news. If the glorious God is our saviour, we will be a watchful people as we wait for Christ's coming to judge the world in righteousness. We will be alert as we do the work that Jesus gave us, making, maturing disciples as we walk humbly with our God, loving justice and mercy. Because the Lord is the only great and glorious God, we should worship him, witness to him and his saving work and wait expectantly for his coming.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be a worshipping people. Help us to sing his praises in our thoughts and in our words and in our actions. Help us to be a witnessing people, sharing the good news of Jesus on our front lines and further afield as we are called to do. And help us to be a watchful people as we hope expectantly for the coming of our Saviour Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au.